2: My only
0: object
3: in being here
2: is to try and get at the
3: truth.
0: Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
2: could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill
4: me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an awful deal. All real, men. Love is... is Too weak a word. for back.
2: I loathe you. you. No, I loathe Why you. 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 Why Why you, you? I love you I, did as, I did. did as he said. Don't let me... If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction. This ain't reality TV! let it and Remember that you told me! It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 151 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. A time of recording, 11, 12 a.m. on July 14th, 2019. This week, we are going to be talking about Disney remakes, Disney remakes, and guess what? More Disney remakes. Here to help me talk about all of these remakes in our lives, I have Well, Mavity. Everything the light touches is yours, Simba. That was actually pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Michael Schwartz. I just can't wait to be king. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Alright. Is this how we're doing it this morning? Alright. Uh, Casey Lee Clark.
3: I'm not getting
2: in on that. Hi. Dan Baer. Be prepared. And Bianca Gardner.
0: It's a circle of life.
2: Yeah. Yay. (laughs) All right.
3: Oh, wow. Now I feel like the unfun one. (laughs) (laughs) It's
2: all right. Everybody needs a Zazu. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, as I said at the beginning of the show there uh we are going to be talking about disney remakes because i mean let's face it it's dominating the industry right now just as much as disney themselves are dominating the entire industry uh our trailer this week is a disney remake for mulan that is the theme for this week's poll and there is a movie coming out this weekend you may have heard of it it's called the lion king so we're gonna have some thoughts on that pre-viewing so Let's kick it off first and foremost, though, to everybody else here. What have you all been watching, either in the theaters or at home this week? Will, we'll start off with you.
1: Well, I caught up and saw the latest Spider-Man, which was nothing special, but a lot of fun. You know, Gyllenhaal's one of the better Marvel villains, and it's a fun way to pass the time.
2: And did you freak out at that post credit sequence?
1: Oh my God, yes. I was... I had heard rumors that a certain actor was coming back, but yes, that was the best thing I've ever seen. That was <laughs> probably my all-time favorite post-credit
2: sequence. It's one of I my. Heard. It's one of my favorite uh, cinema like moments of 2019 not like in terms of what happened on screen, but just like in the theater and just seeing people around me, like people got up out of their chairs with their hands on their head, like standing up. It was, it was fantastic.
1: (laughs) You know, in the comics, that character actually becomes a major Spider-Man villain. I would love to see him be one of the next villains too. Oh, Wow. That would be so much fun.
2: And in this era of "quote unquote" fake news, I think there's a lot they could do there.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay. We're we're, everyone's seen it. We're beating around the bush. Yeah, I like that they've basically turned him into Alex Jones. I think that's just perfect. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like it's it's so spot on. So. Yeah, ultimately, in the comics, he A, creates the scorpion, and then B, like, turns himself into a robot himself and goes after Spider-Man. So, you know, it, it could be Spider-Man versus fake news. I'd be very excited. Everyone wants It'd to be see Alex. Spider-Man, not my tempo. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he's swole now. Have you seen those pictures of J.K. Simmons working out?
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh,
1: my God. God, it's scary. It's always been kind
5: of swole,
2: though. Him and Kumail Nanjiani are like, you know, trading tips and, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) working out together. (laughs) All right, Will, what else did you catch up on?
1: Uh, That was my big one this week.
2: Okay. All right. Michael?
1: Nothing.
2: All right. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Casey?
3: Um, So beyond just like watching little things at home and whatnot, I finally saw Midsummer on Friday. (laughs) And on a technical level, I loved it. I think that Ari Aster is a brilliant filmmaker. I don't think anybody fully makes movies like he does, even just in the way they look with the way he uses light and color and shadows and the way he frames shots are just really interesting. I thought the actors were all incredible, especially the like core American group in there. I thought were really great. I think that the dialogue is really fantastic, especially that like core relationship stuff. Like It felt incredibly believable. I feel like I knew these people I think at the end of the day, my only problem with it is I think that the overall narrative and plot is not as, like, concise and having a beginning, middle, and end the way that Hereditary was. And I can't help but compare the two, but I think that was the only thing of, like, by the end, I was kind of left being like, but I wanted a little bit more there. But I still liked it a lot, Mm. and I think it's incredibly well made.
2: That kind of sums up, like, my thoughts on it to a certain extent as well in the sense that I understand that the two are linked thematically in some ways but i also understand that what makes hereditary so great is that it is more concise but on the flip side of that what makes midsummer great is 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 that it's not concise and that it is this grandiose like operatic theatrical movie in so many
5: ways you get lost in it which helps with the like overall impact of the movie
3: yeah and i was never bored like I and Maybe because I like slower films, so there was never, like, mm. I feel like there's people that were like, oh, I found it so slow in that first half or whatever, and I never felt that. And I was also in, like, a theater with maybe two other people in it, so me and my boyfriend would just, like, whisper when weird things would happen so we wouldn't get <laughs> too freaked out. So that was fun. I, don't, I It would probably take a little bit for me to see it again just for some of the uh, shocking and disturbing moments, which I think Ari Aster does very well. And I think he taps into the, like, what it means to be unsettled. And, like... In my horror film class back in college, we talked about, like, I think it was, like, the idea of, like, like the uncanny or whatever type of horror of, like, mm-hmm. being disturbed in that way. And I think he taps into that really well. It's a bear. Yeah.
2: <laughs> God. You guys see the A24 ad they put out with the bear? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so good. So, so good. Oh,
1: I I saw one more. I just remembered that. Yeah. Uh, the... The Brink, the Steve Bannon documentary. Oh, yeah. Tell me I, about that. It at Sundance. that yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. I mean, uh, it, it is weird seeing him. I, I don't want to say as a human because he's almost being like a supervillain, but it's weird seeing him personified after he's been almost this mythic creature of the headlines. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a little bit disturbing because last I had checked in, I was like, oh, thank God he's out of the White House and he's been sent back to Breitbart with his tail between his legs after kind of lo- losing his privilege. And the film follows him as he goes to Europe and basically decides to try and do to all these European elections what he did to the 2016 one. And it's, it's kind of freaky. I mean, he's a little bit charismatic and it's just... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very unsettling film. It's wild how much he agreed to have himself on camera. Definitely worth seeing. It's pretty disturbing.
2: Wow. Okay, good. I'm uh, starting to formulate my must-see documentary watch list uh, for the second half of the year. As you all know, that's what I typically do. Mm-hmm. So this one I will definitely put on there. Awesome. Uh, Casey, anything else? or?
3: No, nope, that was the big one.
2: Okie dokie. Dan Baer.
5: Uh, so I saw the farewell. Yes, so good. Uh, is so so good. It's so well done. Um, having seen it now, like it makes total sense that Lulu Wang and Barry Jenkins are an item because they clearly have very similar um, outlooks on life. I think they are.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
5: yeah. Wow, that's a great
1: couple.
2: I know, right? Could you Um, imagine like what they just what they must discuss intellectually about like the art of filmmaking?
5: (laughs) Oh my god, like I want to be on a fly on that wall so bad. You're Um, gonna get married at the A24 headquarters. (laughs) 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 Anyway, I love them together. I the movie was so good. It it was strange when it was over and I left the movie like I looked at the the clock and i was like i can't believe that was only two hours Mm -hmm. it it felt or less than two hours even but like it felt longer than it was and somehow that wasn't a bad thing which normally like i would say like you know why should a you know hour and a half movie feel like it was two hours or longer but like in this case like i didn't even notice it and it didn't harm the movie at all. I was just shocked.
2: It's one of the year's best films. There's literally no way around it. It's undeniable. It's something that I feel very, very strongly about since I saw it at Sundance earlier this year. I think right now it stands as my second favorite film of the year right now. I'll be very, very shocked if it falls out of my top ten. Yeah, Very shocked.
5: It's my number three right now and it it just is so fantastic. I I want everyone to go see it. And I'm so afraid that so many people will go like, eh, but it's subtitled and Chinese and blah, blah, blah. I, This is the most universal story. And seeing it with a really diverse audience, the reactions, I, I can only imagine that the reaction the film got was exactly what Lulu Wang wanted every step of the way.
2: Agreed. It has such a perfect mixture of comedy and drama yeah. that feels, to your to your point there, Dan, it feels so universal. And yeah, I, I just can't, I'm, unless if you have a heart of stone, I can't imagine somebody watching this and walking away and being like, oh yeah, yeah no, that wasn't good. That wasn't good enough. I, I just mm. can't imagine that.
4: <laughs> no, I, I think people are really going to respond. I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait. And it seems like one of those things where the story is so specific to one culture that it becomes universal and how we see our families and ourselves, almost like the way Fiddler on the Roof was and how the world responded to that. I and mean, like yeah, a of the deal here.
5: Yeah. It, it, the only thing about it that is culturally specific at all is the location and the idea that, you know, they're not going to tell the grandma that she has cancer. They, that that's it. Everything else is just family dynamics. And these dynamics are, you can, you can, you just feel everything like there is, um, there's a lot of talk about because um, uh, Aquafina's parents and her have moved to America. And there is a lot of talk about like, well, you don't look American and what that means to be an American versus being Chinese. But like, other than that, like you, that's to me, like watching, like while that was clearly important, it wasn't the important part of the movie. Like the important part was the, you get the dynamics between the family and these, you know, resentments that they have and the love that they have, and it's just, it, it's so keenly observed, and it, it's, it's amazing. I, if we get five better screenplay original screenplays this year, this is going to be a really, really fucking good year.
1: Dude, <laughs> the tonal balance
5: too is oh, just God. crazy, going
1: back and forth oh. so effortlessly between just making me want to crack up and then sob it's such a hard line to walk and it does it so well
5: everything at the wedding reception is so hysterical and then like a shot later you're practically crying it i it it's it's amazing um and i know matt you've you've been championing um uh, the grandma, Zhao Zau- Susan. Yep.
1: Susan.
5: Hey, I was, I tweeted actress. about
1: before that. I was the first person to sing her out of
2: <laughs> He film was, film I with. will give credit where credit's okay. due there. Will, Will said it first. I, <laughs> I think I might've said adapted screenplay first, but Will was like, nah, dude, it's going to go further than that. You know,
5: I, she's good. For, I honestly, I thought the, um, the actress who played Aquafina's mother was even better.
2: Oh, oh um,
5: oh Diana, God. Uh, yeah. Diana Lynn. Uh, She's I thought she was fantastic. And that last scene of her, uh, the last shot of her in the in the taxi as they're leaving was just heartbreaking.
2: I mean, if I'm being completely honest here, I'm starting to believe that if the passion is there for it and it really does well at the box office, which, Michael, you're telling me it it, it is.
4: It had a huge opening weekend about on par with what Lady Bird did uh, two years ago.
1: We just got to see how it does when it expands, though. I mean, Yeah. yeah. This was always going to do well in New York and L.A. It's a question of can it do better anywhere else?
4: Yeah, well, it goes wider
1: this weekend.
4: It goes to like Philadelphia and Chicago and Denver, I think. So it's going to hit those cities, and we'll see. I think doing it after a week with this buzz is better than what they did with 8th grade, which I think they waited... Nearly a month um, to expand that one. And then, you know, that was just disappointing to see
2: what happened there. But if it does do well and it does continue to ride its wave of momentum as we head into the fall, I can see a world where this is a SAG Ensemble contender. Oh, yes. I could see Aquafina actually in the Best Actress conversation. I could see Lulu Wang contending for Best Director. I could see the score getting some citations love the score like Mm -hmm. i could see this being a lot more than i think we all maybe anticipated when we saw it early on like i i really do think this could catch fire
4: well you always have the one sundance movie that does well so
2: you know definitely wasn't late night (laughs) this could be it so yep very very exciting glad to hear it all right bianca what do you got
0: um so sorta of talking about fake news I've been what um this morning <laughs> I've rewatched Being There, the How Ashby oh, film. Yes, very, very good,
5: God, one of the all time greats. So it's, good. I just read the
1: book. Fun. It was based on last week too.
0: Uh, I haven't read the book. Um just but I've always meant to, but at the same time I, I I'm worried that it will change my like um perspective of the film if that makes sense mm-hmm. um, but the the film is such a it's so relevant for now I just um, like how we interpret like uh, words and, and and tweets and stuff I, I kind of I don't want it to be remade but I would love mm-hmm. to see maybe it being remade in this era to see what would happen especially with social media um, so, and Peter Sellers gives a really good performance in this. God, and, uh, he's
4: so good. It's,
0: it's amazing. It's a really great film. And that final shot is just, wow. There's so much going on there. Um, so yeah, I caught up with that and I, I, Also caught up with a uh, talked about animation. Um, I caught up with a a Japanese animated film called "I Want to Eat Your Pancreas." What? Uh, What? I
5: heard about
0: this amazing title. Um, It's not what you think, by the way. It's actually a really cute little um, drama about um, a guy who befriends a girl who's um, got a um, like cancer of the pancreas. And he becomes best friends with her and gives her like one uh, like last summer of having fun and doing what she wants to do. And uh, that he she helps him come out from his hell and um, gain like friends as well. So it was a really nice little film. But, yeah, it was the weirdest title I've come across. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll check that out. And I was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be some horror. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I want
5: to eat your pancreas. Wow.
0: It's like the most romantic thing you could ever say to someone. <laughs> totally. But, yeah, that's I just caught up with those two films today. So Nice. Um, and we've been having summer here in the UK, so I've tried to make the most of it by being outside, which is weird because it's hot and <laughs> not <Yeah>. raining. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I hate the heat, so I don't like going outside. Not to mention I'm kind of afraid of the sun. Uh, so what? there's that. You like yeah. the
1: guy in the bench warmers? <laughs> John Hader's character.
5: It's because of the baldness.
2: I have all these freckles all over my body, and I'm just like – I'm just always really worried about the sun rays. That's all. So anyway. Okay. So this week I saw Stuber finally, which it's something to watch at home. I wouldn't recommend necessarily going into theater, but I think the chemistry between Dave Bautista and Camille Nagiani is pretty solid. Great. Uh, We have a podcast review of that up. You can go and check that out. I saw Crawl, which – was a lot of fun because there were a lot of critics actually at the first uh, screening at 7 p.m. because this did not screen for critics. And so we all watched it and it was a blast. Uh, It's a B-level, you know, movie with genre thrills and gore and suspense. And it's, you know, extremely tight. It's less than 90 minutes. And it knows exactly what it is, and it sets out to thrill you, and it does just that, and it's over, and that's it, and there's no need to think about it afterwards or anything like that, and it won't probably make any best of lists, but it's 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 always refreshing to kind of have these types of movies to break up uh, the big blockbusters and the serious you know dramas and so on and so forth, and hey, if it's done well, uh, I'm not complaining. So
1: Alexander Aja is one of the most consistent, mm-hmm. good B movie directors.
5: Yeah, I was going to say that he knows what he's doing. It's very rare, like super rare to come across. Piranha
4: that. 3D was very fun. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, did if this movie were about any other animal aside from alligator, I would probably go see it. I, I just cannot stand looking at them so
2: <laughs> i'm just amazed that you like, even no <laughs> have seen piranha 3d michael
4: yeah frankly piranha, i'll see piranha that's fine but i i have a thing about alligators and
2: crocodiles all right all right mm-hmm. i know what i'm sending you in the gift basket no, this I, year i will
4: leave this website i will <laughs> get on and on. Any of you send me
2: anything <laughs> was your address again yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right hey everyone i'm aaron and i'm patrick And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its
5: technical merit.
2: Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion.
5: New episodes
2: drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio,
5: and many other podcasting networks.
2: You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com.
5: In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep
2: feeling film. I saw The Lion King, uh, as a couple of other people did. I wrote the review. It's up on the site. It's going to be our major podcast review this upcoming week. And I, like a lot of people out there, am not a fan of this. I have to say that I went in, obviously, highly skeptical and a little apprehensive. However, the first couple of minutes with Circle of Life, I had goosebumps, I had tears actually welling up in my eyes, and I leaned forward in my chair and I was ready. I was like, "Wow, this is really powerful stuff, and I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to go on this trip. Let's do this." And then as the movie just kind of went along, it brings on inevitable comparisons to the animated original because it is line for line, beat for beat, shot for shot, like the exact same thing, that it's unavoidable. And you're forced to make the comparison instead of having to stand on its own and be different. And because they are both two different forms of animation, or I guess maybe we could just say it, it is animation. Yeah, two different forms of animation, I guess, is the a, a appropriate way to say it. Hand-drawn versus computer. It, like I said, it just doesn't differentiate itself enough. So, Leading into that, uh, the film is now currently sitting at, what is it, a 58%, I believe, on Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. And we'll probably get more reviews, obviously, over the next couple of days and more people see it. Uh, But I want to know, based on what you've heard so far, what do you guys think about the way that the movie has been uh, received by people and the takes on it so far?
5: I'm not surprised.
1: (laughs) It's been interesting because critics have kind of given Disney a free pass for a while on a lot of these live-action remakes. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of defending Disney in the past when people have been like, wait, this seems kind of creatively bankrupt. So it was fascinating that The Lion King was kind of the tipping point. Because with the mixed reviews, you also start getting guys like Guy Lodge saying, okay, Disney is scary, it's bad for cinema, we need to break up this monopoly before it destroys film. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised this was the one to do it. Because at this point, I just kind of accepted that the critics were going to eat up whatever Disney offered them among the live-action remakes. But yeah, I mean I'll I'll be honest, the the Disney monster concerns me a little bit. And uh, I think none of this matters because this is gonna make two billion worldwide and maybe be the film's high the highest grossing film of the year. But yeah, it's 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 absolutely concerning. You know, I, I was very excited to see this because I thought it would be something special, but it does sound like it's utterly creatively bankrupt and steals away the magic of the original.
5: I've been thinking about this a lot and um there, there's some the watching the clips that have been available from this remake of The Lion King and thinking about the original and comparing it to the original, which of course you're going to do with any remake, you're going to compare it to the original. Much less one that is, you know, a more or less a shot-for-shot shot remake. Um, but it's made me appreciate traditional hand-drawn animation even more than I did previously because you think about the things that they changed for this movie because they had to, because if you're going for photorealism, you just can't do it. You know, you can't make Scar this slinky, almost snake-like figure because the, you you just can't that's not really true to how animal how how lions move but you can in a hand on animated feature because there is that we know this isn't real life sort of thing
2: well that's the, that's part of the problem there and that's like something that I brought up in my review was in, in Star Wars Rogue One when we saw uh, the CGI uh, Peter Cushing on screen as uh, General Tarkin it it, you know, it fooled some people, granted, but there were a lot of us obviously that knew that the actor had passed away and we knew that this could not possibly be real. And the uncanny valley, as it's known as, um, is something that is sometimes inescapable. And as you're watching it, the movie wants you to believe that it's real. It wants you to believe it so badly, but our brains know that it's not. And what ends up happening is that there becomes an emotional disconnect that forms then. And this is something that I think is a huge problem with The Lion King versus, say, John Favreau's last movie, The Jungle Book, where we had a human character on screen that was real, and our brains were able then to uh, make a subconscious connection to what was happening on screen. And we allowed ourselves to get lost in the world and the CGI. It's the same reason why Avatar worked. It's the same reason why Gravity works. It's the same reason why Life of Pi works. You need some sort of a real life thing to latch on to if you don't have that and it's all cgi and all animation um your brain is going to be crisscrossed while watching it because they want you to think it's real but we know it's not
5: Yeah. Mm-hmm. but uh, yeah and that's part of the problem i mean because I, and I was shocked to see, you know, in some of the preview it, clips, like, how bad it looked, especially because the Jungle Book was stunning.
1: Do the, mouth, the mouths move as badly as they do in those clips, Matt?
2: Yeah. Um, uh, somebody posted on Twitter, and I thought this was a great comparison. Um, they posted a clip from Chronicles of Narnia and how – uh, uh, I can't remember the lion's name. Help me out here. Aslin. Aslin. The way that Aslan is animated and how he emotes through Liam Neeson's uh, performance. It, there, it, watch that clip and then watch any clips that you can find from the latest Lion King. Fav- what Favreau is trying to do is Favreau is literally trying to ground this so much in realism that it loses a bit of its charm.
5: Mm. <sighs> I mean... If you can't top Babe that came out in 1995, then you should just stop.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's take it a step further. How about Dr. Doolittle? <laughs> kidding.
5: <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, why not? That was the 60s. I mean, why not? That would work. Is the difference that they were real animals having their
4: mouths move and that these are all CGI creatures?
5: So Babe was a combination of real animals plus CGI and uh, Creature Shop.
2: Uh, yeah. If I remember correctly, it won the Academy Award for visual effects. It yeah, did,
5: it did, yes. Mm-hmm. Because it's so seamless.
2: Yeah. So, this brings about now uh, a question in regards to obviously, Disney is going to keep on making remakes. <laughs> it's not going to stop. We already know yeah. about certain projects they already have in the pipeline for the future. And so, what it makes me wonder is now I'm starting to kind of picture after seeing The Lion King and seeing how this was entirely 100% CGI. Like, what's on the table then? Uh, What's on the table that we thought could only be achieved in hand-drawn animation that now can be achieved just by doing it fully 100% CGI, another form of animation? And you start to say to yourself, okay, does that mean we're getting get the fox and the hound someday?
0: Oh, I hope not. I really yeah. hope not. I, there's something so magical about that movie, although yeah. that could kind of work. There are humans. You, you, yes, there are humans. But I feel like that—that's a movie that is, like we say with the the, the way that the animated um, animals move. You know, there's wonderful mm-hmm. moments where they're playing and they're like rolling over and, and and you know play fighting. I can I can't see that. In in CGI and in, in that, I just think it would look off to me.
5: Yeah, I mean, the thing that I kept thinking about when this was when this came out, and well, the second thing because they already said that they're remaking Lady and the Tramp, which I don't. It's understand coming out why. this year. Um, yeah, but yeah, um, November twelfth.
3: Only on like Disney Plus, right? Isn't that? It's like a. Yes,
5: yeah, Disney Plus exclusive. Yeah, um, but the one that kept coming to mind in my mind was Bambi.
0: Oh no! Nice.
2: Yep, that is definitely on the table in a similar vein as this. I
5: can't imagine. Yeah, I I just can't. I can't picture it again because like there's an element of expressionism to these hand drawn that is so endearing and charming and gives these characters so much depth that mm. you can't replicate if you're trying to do photorealistic CGI. You just can't. I
2: saw somewhere uh, that some, like somebody wrote that, well, this is just a way to get younger audiences that are more acclimated with uh, the Frozen's and the Pixar's and all the CGI animation. This is just a way to get them to embrace these stories in in a in an animation style that they are familiar with.
5: I don't buy it.
3: I don't fucking buy that. <laughs> There
5: are so many traditionally hand-animated TV shows still that I don't buy that argument.
1: Yeah, and, and when we were kids, we had to sometimes watch things that were in black and white even yeah. though it was just the color. And like.
2: that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of it, – it feels like the industry is treating hand-drawn animation like it's black and white already.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And I mm, – I really, really don't like that. I, I mean – it greatly upsets me. Just like how I feel like... I, I feel like the industry needs more black and white modern movies. I like I, I get excited yeah. when I know that a movie is shot in black and white nowadays. Yeah. So... You know, Roma last year, great example.
0: I think you can do so much more in terms of lighting with black and white movies. It just... There's so much you can sort of project and visualize with your... You know, and with your mind in terms of like, if this was in color, what would it look like? And I just... It's the same with animation. It's just something about uh, the value of it. I know that not that CGI is obviously. I'm not saying that people don't put the effort into making CGI. You know, lions and all that. But there's something a little bit more authentic to me of what of seeing the process of the. You know, from. You know, a sketch on a page to actually seeing it all working on the big screen—it mm-hmm. just feels that more intimate for me, and and more sp- special because, you know, it's a, a long a long process that's not done in in a computer. It's all done by hand, so there's a, a beauty aspect to that. And I feel, yeah, I've I don't know to say that children don't want to sit down and watch cartoons. is just ugh yeah
1: (laughs) and remember how excited people got last year about the fact that mary poppins returns had brought back 2d animation yeah Mm -hmm. like i I feel like there is some interest in it and i'm sure there are a lot of uh, god i hope we're not all turning into the get off my lawn kids (laughs) i feel like we're not and
4: I've been relatively quiet during this conversation because I think of everyone on this podcast, I'm the biggest fan of these Disney remakes. but And that's fine. But at the same time, when I look at these, I don't look at them as taking away from the original product. Like this new Lion King, without having even seen it, I can tell you it's not going to be better than the 1994. None of these remakes are for the most part. But I think what they're doing is taking what we material that we love, and doing almost the equivalent of a Broadway revival. They're showing them through, not necessarily a different way, that different light that shows the story in a different light, but they're showing them in a way with this new technology, taking stories that we know and saying, hey, what if we did The Lion King and they look like real lions? Not something that's going to change the way we always think of the material, but just another way of saying, oh, okay, here's what we like here's a different, unique perspective of seeing it.
2: Yeah, no, I I mean, that's the intention. But, I mean, the execution is failing, though.
4: Failing utterly. Depends how you think about it. I've loved all these so far, and I know... I I
2: think you you want to love them. I think that's the difference. No, I
4: do love them. There have been a few that, you know...
2: No, 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 I mean, like, I think heading into, like, The Lion King, for example, Mm -hmm. I think you want to love it. I'm talking about
4: the ones that I've actually seen. Like, you know, there have been some that have been a little disappointing that, you know, you go in wanting to love. But something like Beauty and the Beast, I think, is a triumph. Yeah, oh my at the God. same time, I recognize that it's not the same as the 1991, which is one of the great films of all time, but this is a different way of showing it, and it's a different way of looking at the material, and you could say, you know what, there's room for both of these. We don't need one or the other. There's room for both of them to exist.
2: I think my stance here is this. I would be more okay with it if they were not taking the most beloved and considered the greatest that they had to offer because I do believe that they are setting themselves up for failure if they can't differentiate uh the two and justify why it needs to be done beauty and the beast while i'm not the biggest fan of that movie i actually do believe that there is enough differentiation there between the animated version and the live action version that you can appreciate each one for different reasons and obviously there are those out there that do uh this though remember the lion king is completely animated so is this so where is the differentiation
3: well, no, like, I have a similar mentality to you, Michael, of, like, I I think I have the mentality of, I'm never gonna stop them from being made, so I'm not gonna upset myself by, like, getting annoyed by it. I do think that they work better. Well, the be- Beauty and the Beast is my favorite of these. I think the most successful one probably is Jungle Book, because they took one that wasn't the most popular and well-acclaimed one, and, like, took things from it, but added a lot of new things and made it something that could stand alone and be different and interesting, and I think with the Lion King, the downside, like we said, is the lack of humans and the fact that you're just reanimating it all over again. And like you said, they don't add anything new, unfortunately.
2: Oh, and there is th- a new Beyonce song. Well, yeah I, <laughs> like,
3: yeah, I think that I was always kind of skeptical about that because I'm like, what new can you add? Whereas at least with Beauty and the Beast, it was like, okay, we touched on some of these plot holes. We added some new songs. We like changed around some character background and these things. There's different things being made in them. And I think that, I don't know, I just, I'm still going to see it and I'm still going to like probably cry and I'll probably like it a good deal, but I know there's a difference between me liking it and it being good and necessary.
2: So what I want to do is this, because I don't want this to kind of like spoil our Lion King review, which is set to happen uh, this weekend. Mm -hmm. I do want to kind of steer the conversation more towards uh, what this means for Disney as a company moving forward and what it could also mean uh, for the industry as well, because as we saw, like uh, we said with Rogue One, where they were able to get almost convincing uh, human performances, Blade Runner 2049, I-, I thought was probably one of the best CGI mm-hmm. uh, model recreations like I've ever seen, period. I think we're getting to a point now where, you know, like the Lion King utilizing CGI and trying to pass it off as live action. um, how how much further do we think they could take this technology, and what ramifications do we uh, foresee in terms of actors' performances and just in the entire film industry in general?
0: Well, okay, I think we're going to reach a point where we might as well as you know, like they had holograms of um, was it Tupac or yeah? Uh, are we going to have a, a whole film with Marilyn Monroe being brought back to? like a deep fake type of situation mm-hmm. it, and how does that come into it in terms of um, remembering someone and, and their memory of a, of a person if we're going to then fake it and just plop I don't know Marilyn Monroe starring alongside Ryan Reynolds or someone you know It. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only me thinking of the worst case scenario like a Black Mirror episode or something but <laughs> um, I I don't know. I don't really feel like it, it could go. Compl- it might not. It, it's an interesting experiment to do it, but should it be done? There's ethics involved there. I mean,
2: I, I think about Ian Malcolm in uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you were so preoccupied with whether or not if you could, you didn't stop to think if uh, if you should. You should. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it kind of feels like. The it takes you out of the movie like you were saying with Rogue One I found it really distracting and because you know that's it's like Peter Cushing died in 94 or something you know it, it takes away from the experience of just watching a movie if they had simply got someone who looked kind of like him and put a bit of makeup on then maybe that would work but is it right to then you know do that i mean what what where do you draw the line
2: right exactly and i do feel that there's also something to be said too because listen remakes have been around in hollywood since the beginning of hollywood you know wizard of oz the ten commandments ben-hur star was born star was born there you go Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that made me laugh because it's like Star Wars board literally like traces the entire history of Hollywood <laughs> essentially <Yeah. laughs> um, four times. So you know, it's not like it's not like remakes are ever going to go away, or we're saying that they should go away. But I do feel that Disney is relying too heavily on its own nostalgia, and I think what's eventually going to happen is they are going to run out of material. Soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then you got to ask yourselves: When they run out of material, will there be new technology, and they'll be able to go a different route, or are they going to start remaking their own CGI movies like the Pixar films? Let's say uh-huh. probably that.
0: Yeah,
1: and they'll. they'll yeah, but by then, Disney will have bought up additional fran- yeah. uh, you know, additional companies and additional franchises, and mm-hmm. they'll start trying to do things with those properties too. Like I mean, this is in, unless somebody pulls some mad antitrust action against Disney, they're going to keep. They yes, they're going to keep gobbling up properties until it's just them and one or two other studios, and Disney's going to have so much IP that they can prolong this for quite a bit longer than you expect.
5: That's a. This is the thing that I've been hating the most or dealing with the most about the Disney remakes is like you, like you said, Matt, you know, remakes have been happening since the start of Hollywood. They remake the same properties all the time, but there, there's always the question of like, why remake this now? Like why there has to be a reason and you have to be able to do at least something better or more unique than the first time around. And the thing with Disney, is just seems to be like, well, because we own this property and because we have the technology. And I agree with that. I don't think it necessarily needs to be better than what we've seen before. I think it could just be a no, different way of it. No, it absolutely should be better. If you don't have a new point of view or a better way to do the same material, then there is no reason for you to be remaking a movie. There is no earthly reason other than making money and that to see a different perspective if the beauty and the beast remake had been line
4: for line scene for scene not changing a single element of the original i still would have wanted to see what that looked like with live action in CGI.
2: Well, you'll get your chance this weekend.
5: There you go. And that's the but that's the thing. You would see it this is and this is the same problem that I've had with lots of my other friends who just go into these things. They would see it even if it was just line for line, shot for shot, because they want to see their favorite childhood movie in live action. That's and it. you were going into it you were going to love it no matter what you're not and being and if I felt like this was I was any other work. critical faculties on because you want to love it and you're so attached to this instead like i i to i I've said this before, we've said it privately a lot of times, I think the Beauty and the Beast live-action movie is a sin on so many levels. I think it is one of the ugliest movies I've ever seen in my life. Everything everything (laughs) about it is gaudy and tacky and overdone. And that's the, uh, And I mean, the other thing, they cast people who are not appropriate for these movies. I love Emma Watson. I still think she could have been great in this movie. But the fact is, she can't sing. It hampers her performance and you didn't need to cast a name because the movie is selling itself. All right. <laughs> like, no
2: Let's reel it in here, people. Let's reel it in. Let's reel it in. I appreciate the passion. I really do.
0: She can't sing. I, mean, <laughs> the, the, the... <laughs> I love her
5: yeah. dearly, but she can't sing.
2: Now, I will say that I do believe that there are some of the Disney live-action remakes that actually have uh, given us that different perspective and have uh, improved upon uh, what came before. I think Jungle Book is one of those. I think Peach Dragon is one of those. Um, Depending on who you ask, and I actually am one of those people, I think Cinderella is one of those.
5: Absolutely.
0: The thing is, though, I don't think we really should be remaking these Disney princess films because i i mean they're so (laughs) backwards in a way they just have a the way that they represent like a female aspiration is to become a princess and to marry a prince um i have problems with those type of films being made that's why at least frozen although it dealt with princesses it did something different Should we not be having more original, like Tangled is a great um, update of the Rapunzel story. I would like to see those type of stuff being done and and made by Disney that address what's actually going on with like in society at this moment rather than have, you know, Cinderella who, what, what does she want in life? you know, to, Mm -hmm. to find a a find true love. And, and uh, what, then what?
2: Well, I think this is a common theme (laughs) that we're seeing now too, with the, uh, uh, live action remakes is we are seeing, uh, the female roles, uh, get expanded on, uh, for example, in Aladdin, Jasmine's role, uh, was expanded upon. And, uh, when you see Lion King, you'll see that Nala's role is also a bit expanded. Um, and also, probably because she's being played by Beyonce. (laughs) So there's that. But I I, I do think that that actually is a positive, actually, to take away from this, is that the story can be updated uh, to fit more with our times um, and where there may have been an imbalance in terms of uh, the representation uh, for male and female uh, rules on screen. Uh, We're getting that, I think, balanced out a bit more now. So I will view that as a positive. Um, I actually want to... Take a moment though to just say that for the record, I'm all for them continuing to do this. I, I, uh, because I do believe that when it's done well, um, there is something that there is something positive that can be taken away from it. Uh, I just don't want them to go to the big ones like the the Aladdin's, the Beauty and the Beast, the Lion King, and you know what? The way I see it, they're already done, right? Yeah. Uh, Mulan is coming out soon. Like I would like to see them go in and try to reimagine uh, some of their lesser-known films, or films that had problems at the time of release. The Black Cauldron,
1: for example. Exactly. Yes.
2: And we'll get to that in a minute on our weekly poll here. I do want to transition over to the Mulan trailer. Um, it dropped last week during our recording, uh, and we all watched it right after we were done, so now we're finally going to talk about it here. Uh, Mulan will be released March twenty seventh, 2020. It's being directed by Nikki Caro, who uh, some of you may remember directed uh, Whale Rider, back in 2002. And yeah, this is going to be, well, this is going to definitely be different. Let's take a look at the trailer and discuss. We have excellent news. The
1: matchmaker has found you an auspicious match.
5: It is decided. Come and sit down.
2: It is what is best for our family. Yes. I will bring honor to us all.
5: Quiet.
4: Composed. Graceful. Disciplined. Qualities we see in a good wife. These are the qualities we see in
1: Mulan. It is my duty
5: to fight. I am all
1: for this. Yeah. (laughs) If If you're gonna, if you're gonna do the live action remakes. This is the way to do it, you know? Just genuinely create a new vision for it. Like, there's so much potential in the Mulan legend to make this into such an epic story and to have this be kind of a big budget, live action, semi-serious epic, that's, that's awesome.
2: I looked at this and I immediately was like, holy crap. If this is anything like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, or Hero, or any of those movies, I am so there.
4: <laughs> I'm so, so well, there. it definitely is Hidden Dragon, because there's no Mushu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
5: uh,
2: that's another thing, too, I actually like about this, is that it does seem like it is being grounded a lot more uh, within reality. So much so that... Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this is a Disney film, but it feels so very un-Disney Yeah. when I watched the trailer for it. It didn't feel like yeah. Disney at all. In fact, I was almost half expecting uh, some of these, like, fight sequences. I almost expected there to be, like, CGI blood at some point, <laughs> you know. I know.
1: I'm wondering if this could be their first of those to be PG-13. Like, this could potentially be pretty intense.
5: I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah and i hope and i hope it is like i hope they don't shy away from the battle aspect of things because like it is disney they have their precious image to think of and like but now at the same time like we all know that disney is marvel like you can step up the action and violence and still make a billion gazillion dollars
4: but at the same time you don't have the disney logo before avengers like they are very intentional about keeping that away it might be part of the same studio. I they know. They the same way. So if this is going to have the Disney banner before it, you better bet it's going to be PG at the end of the day.
2: And speaking of a billion gazillion dollars, like Dan just said before, <laughs> does anyone know what the budget is on this? Because this oh my looks God, it's huge. Like it's like
1: 300 million. It's one of the most expensive films
5: ever made. Jesus, what is this going to be? Like a three hour epic? But like, and that's enough like to put that much money into this story. Into a story about not just women, not just, you know, Chinese culture, but like specifically Chinese women, like that is a huge deal that it's getting this much money.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's going make a ton one... of
5: money
4: in China. So it's a great investment here.
3: Oh yeah. I think the one thing for me beyond just the fact that, and it might've been some of those beginning shots or money that like borderline artificial lighting that some of the shots mm. in Aladdin had, that's mm-hmm. the only thing that was kind of like, but I think also that the one thing that I also love about, the original Mulan and obviously you can tell it's completely taking its own turn as the character of Mulan and her like vibrancy and personality mm-hmm. that I didn't really get in this trailer she felt kind of more soft like quieter and more like stern and serious which is fine but it was just not maybe necessarily what I was expecting and maybe obviously we'll see you know it was a teaser they're not gonna Show yeah. full scenes. So but yeah, that was one thing for
2: me. I mean, that's the other thing too I was trying to figure out while watching this was she's fighting and she's doing the flips and you know the moves with the sword and everything. And I immediately was like, wait a minute. Isn't she supposed to be in disguise and people are not supposed to know she's a woman? So it made me wonder, are these shots that are just part of the teaser that won't be in the finished film? Or is this maybe a dream sequence? Is this later on in the movie when like her identity is
5: revealed? Like what's going on here? That's what I thought that it was later from later on in the movie when they realize who she is. Mm Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but how does the hair grow back so quickly? (laughs) (laughs)
4: Like a beautician,
5: I
0: guess. (laughs) It's hair extensions. What can we say? This was a good trailer. Yes. I think
5: it's a very good trailer. Yes. I mean, it gets you talking in the way that I would assume they want. This doesn't feel like any of the other Disney live-action or live-action in quotes remakes so far. It feels different. It feels very respectful of the original story. It... Does not for one second feel like a shot-for-shot remake. It feels more grounded in reality. I, uh, it's a great trailer.
2: Well, here's what threw me off. Then um, I did a little bit of reading and I saw that Gong Li was playing uh, the film's villain, which is supposedly a powerful witch. And that's where then I merely said to myself, "Okay, here's where the fantastical elements maybe come into play, and this is where the grounded in reality thing kind of falls by the wayside." and i started to like then ask myself okay so are they doing away now with the um uh the hun leader from the original as well no, like he's I, still
1: yeah. there he's played by jason scott lee from that dragon the bruce lee story he, oh, oh yeah nice the
5: 94 jungle
1: book <laughs> yeah yeah no he's he's still here
5: that's cool yeah, okay but the other thing like respect to the original disney live action remake <laughs> <laughs> the 1994 Jungle Book, which had Lena Headey in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that cast is actually, like, fully stacked. Carrie Ells, uh, Sam Neill, yes. John Cleese is in that.
5: <laughs> it's so good. Yeah,
2: that movie's baller. I love that I love
5: movie. that
4: movie. <laughs> uh, one thing that they're taking out of this Mulan remake that I wish we could get just a little snippet of is, I know that they're not doing a full-on musical here. It would have killed them to at least do Honor to us
2: all. <laughs> or just any of the songs honestly the songs in Mulan
5: i think across the board are really great honestly yeah. i'm glad that they're sticking to their guns and not making this a musical
3: i do respect yeah. that yeah
5: and it's it's, it's like
4: be i guess beautiful. it's better up to do it all or nothing
3: yeah
2: yeah
5: well like we were saying before this is
2: this is more than any of their other remakes maybe hmm maybe peach dragon um yeah i would say maybe peach dragon it might be the other one this is the one that I think is differentiating itself the most from There's its original no love
1: interest yeah. too because we have um, Donnie Yen as the commander instead yep. of a younger guy. Osmond. Let's yeah.
2: let's be let's be real. <laughs> this is Hollywood. They're going to definitely pair up Donnie Yen 55 years old <laughs> with you uh, who's yeah. 31. <laughs> God, could you imagine? Like <laughs> that would that would kill this movie critically. Dude,
1: how depressing is it that Jet Li is playing the old emperor. I'm like, oh god, that makes me feel old.
2: <laughs> yeah. The only person that can play the emperor of China uh, as I envision it is uh, <laughs> Palmei from uh, Kill Bill.
5: <laughs> oh, yes. Palmei. <Right? laughs>
4: you know, I, I hope it all works in the direction that they're going. I think it's going to be a good movie, at least from this trailer. But I mean, just like Pete's Dragon, as good as that was, you know you're watching it and there definitely is a lack of Kendall in the water and Shelly Winters so
2: yeah you know like I said it, it, there's enough differences between the two though that this is what this is what I want at least as I want there to be so like enough differences between the two that I can appreciate each one for different reasons because when you start to bring in the comparisons to your point earlier Michael it will never measure up and it's setting itself up, then, I believe, for failure in that case.
4: I guess that all just depends on how much you're willing to separate them, even if it is very close to one another. Like, I, some people I know will go in and can't separate the original. It's like, that's the one. Nothing can ever live up to it or take the place. Whereas others will be able to look at them and say, okay, this one's going to take the backseat for now. I'm going to focus on this remake, and they could coexist with each other. So I think it all depends on It, the it can
2: only coexist, though. If there are differences.
4: Depending. I mean, it all depends on the audience. I could, everyone will come at it with a different perspective as we've seen in the years since these have started. We're never going to reach a happy medium here.
2: Well, moving on to this week's poll, uh, we're asking everybody, which of Disney's animated films do you want to see a live action remake of? Some of them are actually coming already. But when you think about Disney's catalog and the movies that it has... What is something that you would personally like to see, like, your most ideal version of? Because let's be honest, I've already seen a lot of people, like, reply and say, none, none, stop this, madness, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hear me out here for a minute. Yeah, I would like them to stop, too. I would like them to go back to original storytelling, wouldn't we all? But that's just not going to happen, so let's just accept this reality and let's move forward and try to put a positive spin on it, shall we? So, (laughs) Michael, I'll go to you first. Which animated film do you want to see a live action remake of the most?
4: You know, I think the one that I would like to see the most is actually one that's in production right now. It was a tough call for me between Lilo and Stitch and Pinocchio, both of which I love. You know, they're top 10 Disney classics, for me. Of the two of them, I'm really interested to see in what another Pinocchio would look like, because we had the one from 1996 with uh, Martin Lando and uh, young Simba. What's his name?
2: Oh, um, Jesus Christ.
3: Jonathan Taylor Thomas.
4: Yes, yes, yes. I think it wasn't that him in the Pinocchio of '96. I didn't, see, I, I oh didn't God, see that. It was yeah. Uh, anyway, not so great. Then there was the infamous Rober- Roberto Benini, 2002 oh, Italian.
1: They're doing another one with Benini coming out. Yeah. Yes, he's
4: playing Geppetto. It's from the director yeah. of uh, this movie from Canada. What was the dog movie from Ken last year? The Italian film. Uh, dog Man. Dog Man. And I think it's from the director of that. Matteo Garoni? Yes, yes. He's directing this Italian remake with uh, Roberto Benigni as Geppetto. But uh, anyway, there's actually a Disney remake, live-action remake, in the works here. And I think
1: we've only had one good Pinocchio, and that's the one from 1940-something with Jiminy Cricket. Mm-hmm. I want the Guillermo del Toro one about fascist Italy that's coming right, out, Right, that one sounds fascinating, too. Yeah, and we're going to get both of them, but I would like to see what the Disney one
4: looks like. You know, I don't think Guillermo's going to be doing you know, Jiminy Cricket singing, uh, give a little whistle. You know, that's not exactly his speed, but I'm excited to see how he does it. But I think the one that we have in production here with Tom Hanks, the Tetris- <laughs> star, Geppetto. I'm, I want to see what that looks
0: like. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a remake of Pinocchio. It was A.I., um,
5: <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true that is fantastic yeah, terrific.
2: great call there Bianca
5: terrific.
2: I'll pass it off to you then uh, Bianca uh, which film which Disney film would you like to see a live action remake uh, of
0: well I, I'm biased uh, obviously I want to see The Rescuers because there is a character uh. called Miss Bianca in it. Yeah. So. There
2: you go. Oh, well, right by Josh so, wait, 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 let me ask you a question. Is your vision of this um, fully 100% CGI? Is it photorealistic mice? Like, w- w- what's your vision for what this looks like?
0: <laughs> I feel it would be a mixture of live action and CGI um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because I, I don't know though, I'd be weirded out if they make the mice too real um mm-hmm. uh, it would look a bit strange i think Stuart
2: little like, approach could work
0: yeah it could work and i think like you could do something really nice with the uh, who could play the characters and uh you know do Bob the voices yeah well it, i think it could work i definitely think it would be uh, i think it's one of the lesser known disney films as well And that's uh, what I want to see is, you know, some of those lesser known Disney films from the 1970s and 80s being being remade.
2: You know, one of the things I would actually really, really like to see if they were to do to Rescuers is I would genuinely like to see if they could somehow tie the plot of the 1977 film with the uh, 1990 Rescuers Down Under. And yes. just try oh, to incorporate yeah. uh, both plots into one movie somehow. That'd be a lot, though. I, I know. Well, I'm not saying tell both stories, but just, like, maybe try to rework the narrative so that they have a portion of it that takes place, you know, here, and then a portion of it that takes place uh, in Australia, but it's still the same story. You know what I'm saying?
0: Well, you could even have this a new story with the same characters. Yeah, and the you same could very uh, easily. Sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, why why not? I think that would be quite. It's a it's a nice little story, and um, I get to, you know bring some love back to Mrs. Bianca because she's you know, <laughs> she's a sophisticated little mouse, <laughs> <laughs> and
5: also Madame Medusa, one of the most underrated oh, yeah. of all Disney villains. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: Absolutely,
5: absolutely. Will?
1: Uh, so I have a couple, but. I think, you know, one I would say that could be interesting, even though we have too many King Arthur movies, is The Sword and the Stone. And they are remaking that with Matt's great love, Brian Cogman, writing it. And it's being directed by Juan Carlos Presnadillo, who did uh, 28 Weeks Later, which has one of the best opening scenes ever. Mm-hmm. Um so that one's happening. I, w- I mentioned earlier the Black Cauldron could be genuinely interesting. Yeah. You know, that could be kind of a Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones-esque fantasy. And the original was kind of mediocre. So, you know, no one's going to care if you remake it. And then finally, we talked about CGI mice. How about the Great Mouse
5: Detective? Oh, yes, I love the Great Mouse oh, Detective. I, so I, I love
2: Great Mouse Detective, too. My only issue with that is obviously that's already of a, a spin off on uh Sherlock Holmes and I, I, I with all the different versions of Sherlock Holmes that we've seen on television and in film in you know the last couple of years, I don't know how they could take that approach again and not have it come off as redundant. CGI mice
1: math, that's how <laughs>
0: <laughs> as, long as it's better than uh Holmes and Watson, you know? Um oh,
1: God. I... <laughs>
4: There was a great interview a few weeks ago with Don Hahn that I was listening to. You know, Don Hahn, the famous Disney producer. And he was talking about when he was doing The Great Mouse Detective back in the 80s. One of the things they didn't understand was how to incorporate songs into these movies. They weren't musicals, but they wanted to find a way just to add a song. So they would do like, you know, them singing at a pub.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I would be very curious to see also how they would do... um Oh, God. What's the rat's name in that movie? Ratigan. Ratigan. Rat again. Oh, God. Yes. I have to admit, I am kind of getting like genuine nightmare imagery already just from the idea of a CGI photorealistic rat uh, that <laughs> would have the personality that that character would need to have. It's actually more terrifying than anything I've seen from The Lion King so far. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Casey, uh, what about you?
3: Um yeah on Twitter I'd mentioned that I think that and I think this is already in development or whatever but I think hunchback and Notre Dame you could do some interesting things kind of like what they're doing with Mulan of taking the original original source material and putting that into play with the Disney like adapting that film as well I think that it's one that I think is not quite a cult following but I think that it's you know looked at more highly now than necessarily than when it came out and I think that they could do some really interesting more even though that is one of the more darker disney animated films even going further into that or doing something i don't know just something more different and i think that it could be something interesting i'm all for any time it's one of some of the more like lesser known ones but the rescuer's idea i am also a big fan of Mm -hmm. i just i think that could be like a very sweet but fun adventure film
2: I will also jump ahead of you, Dan, there, because Hunchback of Notre Dame is my choice as well. (laughs) Hunchback of Notre Dame is also
5: mine. Oh, there you go.
1: (laughs) But they're going to get roasted, I mean, you know, by the disabled community for doing that when it comes out. I don't know how they can get around the inevitable controversy that's going to come from doing that.
2: I agree with you on that. Um, I think that there's a lot that can be done with that story you could I definitely think you could retweak it a bit to avoid that I, I don't think you will fully avoid it but I think you could at least sidestep it uh, a, a decent amount at least uh, I I do agree though that it will happen no matter what the controversy surrounding that. But that music, I have said for the longest time that Hunchback and Notre Dame is like the best Disney movie that was never made into a Broadway musical. Because uh, those songs just translate so, so well.
5: They and actually if, have made it into a musical. Well,
2: I know they did, yeah, but it was off-Broadway, wasn't it?
5: it they, they've been like... Retooling and retooling it for uh, many years. Yeah, because I
2: even listened to a recording that came out. There was like a whole album they put out without an actual stage production. um, That was just, it was fire. I mean, it was fantastic.
3: Was it Hellfire?
5: Hellfire.
2: And like, I've had like dream casting forever on like who would play uh, Frollo and, you know, Captain Phoebus. And it's like, I, I just feel like in today's day and age, like after – like in a post-Game of Thrones world, like with epic storytelling, there's a lot of really cool stuff you could do with Hunchback and Notre Dame. And, you know, if they went the Mulan route and got rid of the cartoon gargoyles and they grounded it more yeah. within reality, um, that story already is pretty dark. I think it might actually still be the darkest Disney movie like ever.
5: It is, the, it is far and away the most adult Disney movie ever. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So I, I definitely think that it could still translate well. I
5: what a mean, way to die. Too. Hellfire alone.
1: <laughs> yeah, And then he gets thrown into just like a vat of molten lead at the end. Good God. What uh-huh. a way to go.
4: <laughs> I need to see that again. I've only seen the movie once and that was like in the late 90s.
2: Oh no, Michael, definitely revisit it's, it, it it's now because great, I definitely Mike. feel that especially now that you're older, there's a perspective you would have while watching it that would Recontextualize a view, I think, in many yeah. positive ways. It's a
4: I just heard this vibes. one of the songs, the opening song. Somebody played it after the Notre Dame Cathedral fire, and it was just very impressive. So I can't wait to revisit that. Maybe when Disney Plus
5: comes along,
0: yeah. I, it I is- feel like Disney could rebuild Notre Dame as well. Yeah,
5: yeah, yes.
0: so <laughs> quite, like, yeah use your money for some good. And you know, uh, re- rebuild it on
2: the publicity so. tour. You know they would probably do something <laughs> like that. Uh, <laughs> they turn it into the Disney Castle.
1: Oh yeah, God! I it'd be like <laughs> a disturbing, horrible five version of. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jesus.
4: But uh, speaking of the live action remake here, when they did announce this, there were some people really clamoring for uh, casting here. And the one that I saw a lot on Twitter was uh Ben
2: Platt as Quasimodo and Zendaya as Esmeralda. I could see that. Yeah. Um what do you think about Aiden Gillen as Frollo?
1: No, oh. I want Charles Dance.
2: People have to be able to sing.
1: Charles Dance can sing. He's yeah, done he can. Some singing performance before. Okay, then do it. He could sing, but he can't dance.
2: <laughs> yeah. That was not one, that was not one of your better ones, Michael, but it, it, I, I appreciate you for being on brand. <laughs> All right. See where this Moving away from the uh, Disney talk here for a second i do want to uh go over uh last week's poll and it was looking ahead to the future for the rest of 2019 we asked everybody uh which films they were most looking forward to throughout the rest of the year and the winner of this poll first time i'm opening up these results right now let's take a look here wow okay well you are not going to have to wait too much longer everyone with 281 votes is once upon a time in hollywood and then in second place, with a hundred and seventy-seven votes, is Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Hmm. Interesting. I'm surprised that uh, that plays so highly, considering uh, all the backlash from The Last Jedi. You're
5: excited because for because the these day people day. have but taste, and the, enjoy the
1: backlash them. has gotten backlash, and now everyone's yeah. like, "How dare you shit on The Last Jedi?" And now it's reinforced its mm-hmm. fandom mm-hmm. more than ever.
3: Heck yeah.
2: Uh, And in third place with 152 votes. Hey, you know what? The Ryan Johnson love train continues. Knives out. And then in fourth place. I wish there was a way I could like sort this. Um, In fourth place with 136 votes is Todd Phillips, not Todd Haynes, Joker. (laughs) Mm. And then uh, rounding things out in fifth place. Ooh, close, though. Beating beating the sixth place uh, by two votes. In fifth place with 128 votes is It, Chapter 2, which I am really, really looking forward to. Uh, But in sixth place, just barely missing the top five, by two votes was Greta Gerwig's Little Women. Mm. Uh, What else, like, placed pretty highly here? Uh, A lot of people... Wow! This got over 100 votes. 112 votes for The Lighthouse. Might be the Robert Pattinson Club. Came out the (laughs) vote there. And then the only other thing to get over 100 votes was The Irishman, 115 votes.
1: Hmm.
2: All right. Well, the MVP film community has spoken. They are definitely looking forward to quite a lot of stuff. I wonder what got like the least amount of votes. Uh, Let's see. Least amount of votes went to Just Mercy, which I attribute that to the fact that not many people maybe know what that is. Yeah, what is that? Uh, Oh, do you know what it is? No. <laughs> oh, that's the one with uh, Brie Larson, Jamie Fox, and uh, Michael B. Jordan.
4: It's from uh, Dustin Daniel Cretton.
2: Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah it's
4: Just Mercy. It's opening. Huh. It's, it's set for January 2020, but it's definitely going to come out around Christmas for Oscar consideration. Right. Mm-hmm. Lots of big buzz around that now. Warner Brothers is going to make it a top contender.
2: All right. Fan mail. Fan questions. Kind of all over the place. Let's go through them. Michelle Fowles asks... Uh, in relation to the Judy trailer that dropped this week, do you think Renee Zellweger is getting nominated for an Oscar this year?
1: No. I mean, no. <laughs> Maybe, but I'm getting more Hyde Park on Hudson vibes from this than anything.
2: Yep, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I
3: can see like I, a full nomination, and that's about it. Maybe Sag. I can see like a surprise, weird Sag pick.
5: Mm-hmm, but
2: yeah,
5: that's I, about it. Yeah, I am so torn on this movie with every piece of um, thing with every new thing that we see about it I get more and more torn on it me too. And it, it looks better than some... expected but so when no, you're like... expecting Grace of Monica
4: when it turns out to be Hyde Park on Hudson you know that's <laughs> hard
5: I think they're about comparable actually but um, the, uh, I don't know she, there are some beats in that trailer that, where she looks really good and some beats where it's just so off. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't think an Oscar is happening either way.
4: Everyone go to Amazon and watch Life with Judy Garland, Me and My Shadows, and that'll satisfy yes. you. Yes. Judy Davis.
2: Well, what about the Cecil B. DeMille Award? Uh, G at Garen Groom asks, Will the Hollywood Foreign Press Association ever give the Cecil B. DeMille Award to Dame Angela Lansbury?
5: I well, think cool That
2: choice. would be nice. I, I, I guess that's, I, I think that's the answer. We'd all like to see it happen. Will it happen? Who knows? You know, question for the philosopher. She
5: Oscar. I think
4: at the Cecil B. DeMille Awards, they like to have, you know, big, not that she's not a big name, but you know, like A-list people who are still like heavy hitters, like your George Clooney's and your Denzel Washington's. And, and your Meryl like Streep. Yeah. Right. So I think it's going to be someone a little bit more, I don't want to say she's no. not mainstream, she's Angela Lansbury, but. Someone younger. You know. Someone's still in, you know, the Hollywood Yeah.
2: Yeah. HLVD Movies What do you think will be the biggest surprise this Oscar season? Mine is that Cats will surprise us all Now, I don't know if he's referring to uh, surprise in a positive or negative sense So take that for what you will Uh, What do you think will be a major surprise this Oscar season? Could be positive or negative
4: I think that Aaron is going to get the most nominations
1: Yeah, I mean, it it definitely feels very Hugo-ish for me, and people keep saying it's amazing who have seen it, and people who really have a finger in the pulse, like Chris Tapley, have said they've heard great things. So Uh, that, Uh, the um, Noah Noah Bombach movie.
3: Yeah, of course. I think I'm getting some good feelings about Queen and Slim. I don't, I'm just, I'm getting, Mm -hmm. even from the beginning, I was always like, I'm going to keep an eye out on that one, and that first trailer that dropped, I think, I think that could be a big surprise.
2: I agree i agree
4: oh, i think uh adam sandler ends up a uh, golden globe and sag nominee at least <laughs> hmm.
2: i think the biggest surprise uh would be if avengers endgame really really does contend uh it may not get there but if we start seeing it show up at things like pga and stuff it'll be like oh shit this is actually like on the table like you know what i mean I cannot fathom that happening. But well, well, hence it would happened. be a surprise. <laughs>
5: but, you know what I, but you know what I could fathom happening and being a surprise? Is, is Rise of Skywalker.
1: Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if it really closes is that, closes the trilogy out in a yeah. bad fashion, it'll be fresh in their minds. Mm-hmm. But especially with the truncated season, um, you know, if they do the same thing they've been doing and they don't let anyone see it until like two days before it comes out it's going to too late yeah it won't have time to build that momentum they're already going to be voting on nominations by
5: the time they even see it yeah. yeah but i mean if you talk about like a movie that everybody is going to see that i'm pretty sure everyone wants to be good and this is closing out you know since what 77 so to, what 50 years i mean that's going to be huge and it if it's good if it's good like i'm telling you watch out i think the chance for that to break into best picture star wars would have been the force awakens
4: mm. and i think since we've hit a little bit of star wars fatigue since then i don't know that it's still in the best picture conversation but i can see a world where this ends up getting the same maybe one or two more nominations that uh the force awakens got like
5: something up to film editing i right, to that maybe. i'm gonna just say return of the king mm. yeah but even the first two got nominations yeah. yeah they start force awakens got more nominations than anyone expected
1: yeah editing. yeah yeah
5: but oh,
1: one more than expected. That, but there are plenty of films that have gotten editing nominations and haven't been best picture nominees. I mean, true. no, that's true. True. Yeah. Like maybe you see this get costume designers.
2: Yeah. Like that.
1: Production, you know, design but I don't think it's going to be competing
4: above the line in any way, shape, or form.
1: The only thing that could happen that some people have talked about is you know this is John Williams' Star Wars swan song supposedly. So may- yeah. You know, they nominated him for essentially rehashing his earlier themes in The Last Jedi. So, I mean, in theory... Or Thomas if he really, Newman. Yeah, yeah, in theory, if he really brings it, he could win while Thomas Newman still hasn't won a single Oscar.
2: All right. Hassan Kamara asks... Well, this isn't really a question, but... Would be interesting <laughs> to hear your thoughts about Rami Malik as the villain in Bond 25.
1: Well, apparently he's not... They're bringing back Blofeld as the mastermind. So is Rami even just the true villain, or is it just like a hired gun? No, he is apparently Blofeld – It's going to be Silence of the
4: Lambs, where Rami's like Buffalo Bill, and uh, Christoph Waltz is
1: Hannibal. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm happy that Rami Malik is obviously continuing to get work still. You know, which is, I mean, I, I, I mean, the Oscar campaign and everything that happened last year for him was great. Um, it's really, really nice when you see an actor kind of rise from obscurity and into such major prominence. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and then, Ooh, this is a good question to end things off on Lynn Cooper asks, what is your dream actor director combo that have yet to work together?
5: Ooh. Um, give you,
2: I, I was going to say, I'll give you all a moment on that one. Cause that's a, that's a I, uh, loaded one.
5: So I have a really weird one. Um, And hear me out. Lars von Trier and Tilda Swinton. Oh, Oh, my God. That would be
0: amazing. Oh,
5: my God. I mean, because talk about an actress who is willing to go there.
0: I feel like... So the question is
5: actor-director?
2: Yeah, an uh, an actor-director pairing. That has not uh, happened before.
0: Well, I would like to see Jordan Peele and Will Smith maybe do something. Like, Mm -hmm. Will Smith, has he ever done a horror film?
5: Ooh, I am uh, legend, kind of.
0: Yeah, but I—I I mean, there's definitely he's, you know, on a rise at the moment with stuff. So, and definitely feel like that could be interesting to see that happen. Maybe like a remake of the Fresh Prince. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: hmm. She's worked with Adam McKay. She's worked with Denny Villeneuve. Tim Burton, Spike Jones, Paul Thomas Anderson, but I would really, really like to see Amy Adams work with, huh, I would like to see Amy Adams, I think, work with the Coen brothers, actually. Ooh, I can see that. I feel like she would get like a killer role written for her and she would she would just tear into it.
4: Hmm. You know what? Going off of that, Matt, we were talking in the group chat the other day about an actor I think has a lot of potential that has really squandered it over the past decade, you know, doing a lot of, you know, more of the same. And that's I want to see Robert Downey Jr. get back to Tropic Thunder, Robert Downey Jr., you know, doing edgy, funny, creative things again. Mm-hmm. And I think he would have the perfect speed for a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, yes, for sure.
2: absolutely.
4: Wow. So wow. him and Amy Adams in a Coen Brothers movie, let's get on that.
2: Yeah, seriously, my lord. Oof. He would be pitch perfect for that. And of
1: course, instead, he's doing another Sherlock Holmes and The Adventures of Dr. Doolittle. Oh,
2: so, clearly he's... he's a
1: talented guy, but where's the where's the passion anymore?
2: He wants the money, baby. I was going to say, he's got the money. <laughs> exactly. You could do that, but I mean, come on.
4: Let's <laughs> get Ethan and Joel on the phone. Get the agents moving.
3: I'm like blanking. Like, I keep thinking of great directors and great actors, and I'm just like, ah... <laughs> Maybe like Ethan Hawke and PTA. Ooh, mm. interesting.
2: Or Ethan Hawke and David Fincher would be interesting.
3: Yeah, I just, I love Ethan Hawke, so any anything I'm in. You know,
1: I want to see uh, the two excessively serious people, Daniel Day Lewis and Fincher, butt heads on set. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs> He gives, like, interviews afterwards, and take A Tango Daily was just like, uh, he nearly killed me on that movie. I I, I don't know how I survived.
4: Well <laughs> oh, look, David Fincher and Gary Oldman are doing that one now. It's going to be like Gary Oldman yeah. on Friends.
1: I know, because Oldman, yeah, I mean, somebody mentioned the other day that Oldman notoriously hates people who do lots of takes in, Oh Yeah, uh, no. Adventure, you know not a fun guy to be on set with from what I've heard. O- Oldman's agent
2: is doing him a disservice <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> oh,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I cannot think of a worse pairing if you don't
5: like lots of takes.
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, that's funny. Oh wait,
5: okay. I, I have I have another one. Okay. Um, and this is an, an actress who we all love, but um, the... I'm just, Okay, I'm, I'll just say I won't preface it. I want to see Meryl Streep do Ari Aster's next film. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. I, mean, I think that she, it's been a long time since she's worked with a specifically a director who has really pushed her. And if, if there's anything we know about Ari Aster so far, it's that he is pushing his actors to really go deep, deep within themselves and deliver something, you know, completely otherworldly. Okay. So I'd like to see that.
4: Meryl Streep by design does not work with directors who do not let her have, you know, final say about a lot of things. She's basically an executive producer without the credit.
2: Mm. So
4: that's why you don't see her working with an Ari Aster or or like
2: any you know, auteur-driven right. directors mostly. Okay. Right.
1: If you're, speaking of directors, <laughs> hear me out. What if we had Yorgos Lanthimos work with Nicolas Cage?
2: Oh my god. Wow. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> my mind just melted. <laughs> <laughs> and, you oh know, my god Cage
1: needs weird directors who know how to use his batshit insanity and i think lanthimos could have so much fun with
5: that oh my god yes
2: oh that's brilliant i'm gonna leave it off on that note that's a good note <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right everyone well that'll do it here for episode 151 of the next best picture podcast uh for those that are still with us be sure to vote on the 2015 MBP Film Community Awards. All right, The nominations are out. We announced them last week on the show. Voting is going on for pretty much an entire month. So you have plenty of plenty of time to go in there, fill in your ballot, put it in there. Uh, we got some more podcast reviews also to come up uh, for the month of July. We're doing The Hateful Eight and The Revenant to get us ready for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then we'll close out our 2015 retrospective in August with The Big Short and Carol. So, Thank you so much, everyone, that has been making this 2015 retrospective a tremendous amount of fun for us, the staff, over here. And we hope you're having a great time with it as well. Will, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet.
1: Remember who you are. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mavics Movies. Michael
2: Schwartz. On Twitter at mschwartz95. Casey Lee Clark.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark.
2: Bianca Gardner.
0: You can find me at the Film B.
2: and Dan Bear.
5: I am on Twitter at Dance and
0: Dan on Film.
2: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for giving us a listen. As always, head on over to iTunes, rate us five stars, leave us a comment, subscribe to us over there, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, Castbox, Spotify, all of the podcasts, subscribes, and also too. I said before, 2015 exclusive podcast. We got some other exclusive podcasts going on over at Patreon. So head on over there, type in Next Best Picture, subscribe for $1 a month, and you'll get that podcast content along with some other really great stuff as well. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time.